This reading this evening is taken from Psalm 103, verses 1 to 5. And these may be, this psalm may be found in your church Bible at page 605 or on the screen behind me. A psalm of David. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The uh, second reading is taken from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. Jesus is teaching on prayer. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each, our, each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me, these, sorry, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know that moment, you go to a conference, seminar, and uh, you've just heard something kind of exciting and inspiring, and, uh, and then the, the speaker turns to you and says, okay, any questions? And it's a long, awkward pause, sort of sitting on their hands, and uh, kind, of, kind of half got questions you want to ask, but it's not quite formed, and it sounds stupid in your head, and you're really hoping somebody else is going to ask a question. And eventually somebody asks a question, it really doesn't matter what question it is, and it's not a question necessarily you want to hear the answer, but you're so glad to hear 
the, the, the um, speaker responding, and then other people kind of come in with their questions, and, and, and actually it all gains momentum. Well, 2,000 years of Christians have been so grateful for the single unnamed disciple who managed to come up with the question after the disciples had been gathered around and watching Jesus pray. Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And the result of that simple question, in a way straightforward, in a way stupid, maybe they'd heard Jesus speaking about prayer so many times before, but that question at that moment gained from Jesus an articulation of prayer which has enriched our engagement with God for two millennia since then. Pretty much every single service that we have at St. Jude's, that pretty much every Christian um, grouping coming to get together for formal worship ends up somehow saying the Lord's Prayer. But it all starts off with Jesus offering to the disciples a model. So the unspoken question about prayer is already being answered because they're watching Jesus praying. They're watching him at work. They're watching him at prayer. So the first answer that Jesus gives to the question, Lord, teach us how to pray, is a model. They see him doing it. And I guess that's the sharp question back to me and to anybody who's addressing others on the topic of prayer is, do you see us modeling it? We, um, we attempt to teach our children how to pray, but the honest truth is very often they don't ever see us pray because we do our praying privately. They often don't see us reading the Bible because we do that on our own. Sometimes you have to do these things publicly so that other people can see you and can sense that there is something there that they need. I guess that's, the, that's one of the great things about the, um, the, the model of praying that we have in, in a church like St. Jude's where we pray out loud together. It's really tough to do and it embarrasses us when we're asked to pray out loud together for each other, but actually it's tremendously important for each other because we offer each other a model of praying that encourages one another. So in a way, I could stop right here and say, you know, all we have to do is stop now and just start to pray together out loud. However embarrassing that might feel to you, for the person next to you, it's a teaching on prayer. All that you have discovered about prayer, they begin to, begin to hear in your prayer. So I'm rather hoping that after I finish speaking, we're going to do some praying together. So the next thing that Jesus did in response to uh, this question, Lord, teach us how to pray, was to give them some words. And um, I guess the first time that I prayed out loud, it was just really important to have some words that I could say. And very often people find it's easiest to start praying if they're given some words that they can pray, that they can read and pray. Um, it just gives you a starting point. Well, of course, with Jesus, it went much deeper than that. He gave them a whole teaching about what prayer is about and, and who it's to and, and what it's for. Um, 
in those words that he shared with them. That's one of the, um, the great riches of the Anglican tradition is a lot of our prayer is formal, written down praying. And so we've never as a, as a denomination kind of put together lists of things that we believe because we just basically say, look at, it, look at the way we pray and you will see what we believe in the prayers. If you want to know what we think about marriage, look at the marriage service and the pray, prayers that we pray. You want to know what we think about um, communion or you want to know what we think about um, faith, re just read the baptism service and the prayers that we pray there. So Jesus does a lot of teaching in these simple phrases, just about, um, I've lost it, um, just, just two or three verses. Three verses. When you pray, say this. And in that, he packs in an enormous amount of stuff. The first thing, the very first thing, the very first word is ra radical and, and mind-breaking for those first disciples. They're used to thinking about Jesus as, uh, sorry, thinking about God as the Almighty, the judge, uh, the king. But Jesus says, when you pray, pray, Father. That's a really, really significant change of thinking so that we can approach God as if we were approaching our own Father. Somebody whom we know has a, a commitment to us. Somebody who is there for us. Somebody who, whose door is open for us. Somebody who wants our relationship. Somebody who is invested in us. Somebody who has our good at heart. And we'll come on to that in a little moment. So already, he's changing the way that we think of praying. Pray to your father, not to your headmaster. Hallowed be your name. Start off with the, the holiness of God and start off with the, the awesome, the power of his name, the significance. And then go on to pray for his kingdom, his will, not your own. Start off with God because if you are working for, if you are seeking, if you are praying for, if you are putting yourself into the context of God's love for the world and his kingdom in the world, then all your needs will find their fitting place within that. We can move. We're invited to move on and pray for our needs. But first, pray for God's desires. And then our needs find their place within that. Give us today, each day, our daily bread. Bread, of course, being, being a symbol for just everything that makes life possible. It doesn't mean, you know, kind of pray for today's donut. You know, it's, it's, it's pray for what you need to get through the day. Pray for what sustains life, for what makes life possible. And when you've asked for the things that you need, you can go on and deal with the things that break relationship between you and God and you and others. So God, forgive our sins as we forgive others their sins. Lord, restore relationship with you and let us restore relationship with those around us and protect us. Bring us not to the time, the terrible time of testing and trial, 
protect us in that time of trial and bring us through. The other Lord's Prayer goes on to yours is the glory of the kingdom and the power forever and ever. And is a, that's a kind of turning the circle full circle and coming back to the beginning and saying, you know, we've, we've brought this stuff to you, Lord, and now we give you thanks and praise. We bless you for who you are. So Jesus gave them a model of praying and something about the way he prayed clearly struck with them. He was somebody who could pray with power and authority. He was someone who could pray deeply and profoundly on his own. He was someone who could pray in public. Um, he was somebody who could articulate the needs of others and, and uh, find resources in prayer. So he offered them a model of prayer and he offered them words with which to, which to pray. Now I could pray for, I could speak for you know, hours on these few words, I'm not going to. What I'm going to do is to remind you again, these words that we say every, you know, every week, they are words for you, for your prayers. Take them away and start to chew on them like bread. You've asked for daily bread, eat the bread. You've asked for spiritual nourishment, eat that nourishment. Follow his model and actually pray. Follow his words and chew on them and work out what's going on in each single one of those words for you. So he gives them a model. He gives them some words to say and then he gives them some motivation. And here is where we get to the parable as we've been exploring in our series of parables um, in this month. So he tells this amazing story. It's a very rich, very kind of uh, colorful story. But at first glance, it's not a story that we immediately identify with. It's a bit of a problem, actually. Um, somebody coming to you, a neighbor coming to you at midnight and asking you for three loaves of bread. When was the last time that anybody's neighbor came to you, came to them and asked them for three loaves of bread? Okay, when did, when did that last happen to you? It has never happened to me. Okay? Nobody has ever come to me and asked me for a loaf of bread. And that's because our culture has completely shifted. If somebody came now on a journey to me and arrived in the middle of the night, okay, firstly, we'd be a bit annoyed because we would have pre-planned that they would arrive at a different time of the day, not the middle of the night. Okay, so they have arrived in the middle of the night and there's nothing to eat because, well, we've cooked supper, and they weren't there to eat it. So we've assumed that they've eaten on the journey. And most, most visitors arriving would indeed, they would have missed supper, and they would have stopped off on the journey in a service station, and they'd got themselves some sandwiches or, you know, whatever. They, would arrive, they wouldn't need to eat. You would assume that. That's the first thing that's different. That's very interesting. Different cultures have different um, perceptions. Um, our, uh, our principal at um, uh, Trinity Theological College, no, not at Trinity, at, sorry, at uh, uh, Crowther Hall, before we went to Indonesia, he then became Trinity, uh, Trinity's prin principal later on. Um, he first came to England on a long-haul flight from the middle of India, and when he got to his final destination where he was staying that night with a, a nice Christian lady, um, he hadn't eaten for 18 hours, so he was absolutely ravenous. So the lady said to me, he arrived kind of late in the evening, the lady said to him, um, do you want something to eat? And being a good Indian, well brought up Indian boy, he said, no, 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 of course not, that's absolutely fine. 
So being a well-brought-up English lady, she said, oh, well then, fair enough. I'll see you in the morning. Have you got everything else you need? He went to bed, and he couldn't believe what had just happened because his expectation of culture was that he would say three times that he didn't need anything. His host would press him three times to eat something, and finally he would reluctantly agree, and then he'd have a nice slap-up meal. But it doesn't work that way in our culture anymore, and therefore people don't ask us for food, and therefore they don't go to their neighbors, because even if it, all of that happened, and your, your friends arrived ravenous after their long journey, which they'd spent you know, in a broken-down car somewhere, they got to in the middle of the night, they'd had nothing to eat, well, what would you do? You wouldn't go to your neighbor, would you? You'd just go to Asda or a service station or a 24-7 shop somewhere and buy them something. That's how it works now, which makes it very hard for us to understand what's going on here. But if we scratch long enough, eventually we find something that will work for us, that will give us the sense of desperation that's going on in this passage. So for me, it was easy. I just look back to that time when I had a Morris Miner. And Morris Miners have very small petrol tanks and very um, wobbly um, uh, uh, indicators of what's in the petrol tank. And quite often, they suddenly stop for no reason, and you figure out that what's happened is you've run out of petrol. Well, that's okay some of the time. But if that happens to you in the middle of the night, in a stretch of road where there is no service station, or in the middle of the country, there's nobody there, you can wait quite a long time before anyone comes past. And I do remember that happened to me two or three times, once in the middle of the countryside, and eventually some... Um, squaddies came in a car behind me and found me trying to push the car to the top of the hill so that I could roll down the far side and bump start the car again and try and get it to a petrol station. They helped me out. But the time I particularly remembered was when, as that was the other thing with the Morris Miner, once it had run out of petrol, even if you then put petrol in the tank, it very often didn't immediately start and you had to actually get it going again. And there was a dreadful time when I had just said goodbye to uh, a friend, um, somebody whom I, whose brothers I had known when I was at school, and then I had known them again at university. And uh, she had come to the same college as me at university. And so I knew her parents reasonably well. And I'd just come to visit her at her house, and then I'd driven away. And I ran out of petrol and got stuck in the middle of the night on a road and I couldn't get to the petrol station and then I, I finally got there I got the, and I couldn't get the thing started. And I thought, the only thing I can do is to go to a uh, phone box and ring this family whom, who's, whom I have just had supper with and ask them to come and rescue me. I thought I knew them well enough to do that. Well, it turns out that I only just knew them well enough to do that at that time of night. And the father arrived in his dressing gown and pajamas to make a point. And uh, he gave me a um, jump start and we got the car going and I went off home and he went off home too. That sense of, of desperation that I had and the sense of intrusion into somebody else's life. Well, um, 
Nigel, who was speaking this morning, gave us a, a much easier example for us these days. So imagine it's the final of Wimbledon, or the FA Cup final. Portsmouth are in the, in the final again. It's absolutely fantastic. It's been an, an, a nail-biting final, and we've got to... Uh, and, and it's a, it's a one-all draw, and we're into extra time, and then we're into a penalty shootout. It's just the most exciting moment of the year. It's Andy Murray, and he's on tide break in the fifth set. And the telephone rings. And you just can't stop yourself answering the phone. And somebody says to you, Mike, I'm in des desperate trouble. I need you now. It's that sense of, I can't believe you're asking me this. And that sense of urgency that I wouldn't ask you in the middle of the finals of Wimbledon if I had any choice. That's the sense that's going on in this passage, the motivation that we have for prayer. Nigel was saying happened to his wife and it was somebody whose husband had had a heart attack and was being rushed into hospital and she had to go with him but they had two young children who needed a babysitter. You are faced with that choice. It's to say yes or no now. That's the choice facing this guy who's up there shouting out from his window, go away! I'm in bed. No, you must come now. I need you now. So we've got this sense of desperation. There are three things that we can see in the passage for, for this guy who's knocking on the door. The first is that he didn't have what he needed. He needed help. Okay. Now we all have that sense of we, we can all think of the times when we get to a point where we can't do what we need to do, where there's something beyond our capacity. And very often it will be about um, something we have to organize right now and, we haven't, and we're in two places at once. Or it will be something about illness that we can't control. Or it will be something about an emotional situation where we need support. But we can think of those situations where we... We need help. This guy knew that he needed help. He couldn't do it on his own, but he also knew what help he wanted. So it's that, I need you to come here and babysit for me now. And we're always being encouraged to be specific in our prayers, aren't we? If we just generally pray for all the general world kind of generally out there, you know, we won't recognize the answer to our prayer when it happens. We need to be specific about the things that we're asking our Heavenly Father for. And thirdly, the thing that I find really striking about this story that I find very difficult is how bold this guy is. I find it very hard to ask somebody else to inconvenience themselves to help me. But there are times, as I have shared, when even I, finding that so hard, will pick up the phone and disturb somebody. It, I do remember being locked out of my um, house in Oxford, um, fellow students, 
um, in the middle of the night and wondering if I was going to go and sleep on the station, if I really, you know, I was that concerned about inconveniencing my friends that I would actually go and sleep on the street. And then I thought, no, I really am not going to do that. I'm going to inconvenience my friends. You get to a point and you no longer care about the inconvenience because the need is that great. So in effect, what Jesus is saying to us here is, I know that you have needs, and I know that you know what the answer are, answers are to those needs. What are the things that you need? And I know that there are times when that need is so great that you can cope with inconveniencing others. So I'm giving you permission, says the Heavenly Father, to do that with me. Of course, the one extra thing that's worth just noting in this story is that the guy who's coming he, to, to knock on the neighbor's door, he is coming about a problem that he has because you know, he's ashamed not to be able to offer food to his friend who's just arrived from a long journey. That's part of the culture of you have to offer hospitality. But he's also asking on behalf of the other people because if he hasn't got bread to give, they can't eat. So actually his prayers are intercession. His, his knocking on the door is an intercession for his friends that they might have something to eat. In a way, this is a fine, fine passage for Fran and I and others who are seeking to share God's word that we should be praying, Heavenly Father, give us three loaves of bread that we can share. Because I've got some friends and they've come late and they're hungry and they need to eat. If you're going to pray for us as preachers, you might pray that. Heavenly Father, give them three loaves of bread to share with their friends who are hungry. But the same is true for all of us, of course. We all know people who are in desperate need of one sort or another. And the more desperate their need, the more we should be calling out desperately for help for them. So this is an encouragement to you. Take this away. There is so much you could look at in the newspapers. You just search your own heart, search your, look through your address book, look through your text messages. There are needs out there. And you should be banging on the door of your Heavenly Father for bread for those people. I want to end with an encouragement. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so Jesus gave them a model. He gave them words to say. He gave them motivation to meet the needs of others. He gave them a promise. And the promise is if you ask, it will be open to you. If you seek, you will find. So don't just shrug your shoulders Ask, seek, hammer on the door of heaven. And if you do that, if you ask for good things to give to your neighbors, God will not give you bad things. He will not give you a stone. He will not give you a, a scorpion or a, a serpent. As you ask desperately for good things to give to others, to bless them with, God will resource you to do that. And finally, Jesus gives them an answer. 
And the answer that he gives to them is the Holy Spirit at work in them. In the end, what God gives to us is not answers to prayer needs. He gives us the Holy Spirit to be the answer of the needs that we have. So when you pray, pray for the best thing that your Father can give him. And of course, the best thing your Father can give you is himself in his Holy Spirit inside you. Because of course, then the Holy Spirit begins to pray for you begins to uh, challenge you to be the answers to your prayers, begins to empower you to be the answers, begins to um, make the Father real to you, for yourself and for those around you. So Jesus gave them a model. He himself prayed. He gave them the words to say. They're all there in the Lord's Prayer. Chew on them. He gave the motivation, the desperation, the need of others, and the need of ourselves, demanding an answer from heaven. He gave them a promise, if you ask, if you batter on the doors of heaven, the door will open to you. You will be answered. And he gave them an answer, the Holy Spirit. So I just want to finish by, t- by just touching on the blessings that we find in Psalm 103, which are the fruits of that answer to us. The top of Psalm 103, we we read this. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then the psalmist lists them, and they are forgiveness and healing and redemption and the crown of love and the satisfying of our needs and the renewal of our spirits. We are praising him that he has given those things in the past and what he has given in the past he will give it again as the answer to our prayers so these are the kinds of things that we can pray for for ourselves and for others for forgiveness for healing for redemption for love for the satisfying of our needs and for the renewal of our spirits so don't let's not pray let's pray and ask God to bless us pray for ourselves Pray for this congregation in its needs. Pray for those we love. Pray for those we don't know, but who are in terrible need. Pray for all those who are starving for God. Just a moment of prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray.